Here we are, November 12, 2017, lecture discussion number one, how about that, on the book of Joel. So this is the first lecture in the Joel series. <coughs> it may not seem like Joel to you today, but it is. To be accurate, though, October 29th, which is two weeks ago, I introduced Joel to, for those of you on the vast Internet, uh, I did it, uh, not just Joel 2, but primarily Re- Revelation 9. It's there somewhere in audio. Because Supper Dave, if he truly exists, was incapacitated. <coughs> Excuse me. And that, of course, is the inevitable, eventual consequences of his riotous living, for those of you who keep track of Dave. And therefore, he was unable to provide a video record of what would have been lecture number 300 on the Book of Romans. So I had to delay 300, and I threw in... I didn't want to omit 300 from the, uh, from what is it, tube face or whatever it is that we do. Instead, the decision was made to uh, present an audio-only recording of Joel 2 and Revelation 9. That's what I did on the 29th of 2017. And I knew it would be necessary when I got to this day to reprise uh, that particular lecture, if not completely, certainly extensively, because it did not make the video either. <coughs> Excuse me. Ah, tough day. More Worcestershire. I should open that. Uh, can't do it now. I have a new phrase that I've been told I use all the time. I, I always use so, they say to me. I always use anyway. And I always say, always say, okay. So I have made it all one phrase now. So, anyway, okay. That's the lesson plan of today, an exact exact duplicate of October 29th. Uh, And that, of course, made the usual burdensome handwritten. See, I handwrite this. Can you believe that? All of that is handwritten. Can you see? Nobody believes me, but it's really true. I handwrite it, and my hands hurt, and that... By duplicating it, I get rid of this onerous handwritten weekly monograph. I make it much less tiresome that way. And none of that's true, in case you're worried. If only I could do it. If only I could repeat something. I can't do it. I've tried it all my life. I can't do it. There was once in the infancy of Cliffside a proposal to have multiple services. I don't know if any of you remember that, uh, uh, to allow for optimal uh Actually, optional attendance, that's the word I wrote here, couldn't read it, of the congregation. They thought, the thought being that that would cause two large services to occur, as opposed to the one very small assembly that then attended. And I resisted the mathematics of that. Um, and the eight o'clock start time. Oh, you gotta be kidding. Eight in the morning. I just didn't see any value to that at all. To me, it seemed apparent that the result would be two very, very small services instead of two large ones, and that didn't inspire me to overcome my inherent tendencies to resist change. And I could not bring myself to repeat the same lecture. I just can't do that. It, it, boredom is the primary concern here. Creating an operational system where everyone was in a drooling stupor, I thought that's not a good idea. I fall asleep far too often during the lecture as it is, and doubling the risk is not a priority, so I utilize my executive veto. Just imagine, 
Just imagine for a second. I'd have to write two disparate lectures every week because I couldn't repeat them. That's 12,000 words handwritten in total for two smallish classes. Not an inspirational picture, to say the least. Though for quite a few years, those of you who used to come on Wednesday, I did write two lectures a week, Wednesday, Sunday. But the interval allowed me to recover a little bit. Now, imagine when you were in high school or college and somebody came to you and said that every week for the rest of your life, you would write by hand a 6,000-word paper, complete with an outline and references, not to mention the required research reading. That sums up my pathetic life. That's what I have done. Term papers every week for over 30 years. <laughs> if you told me that in high school, I would have run into traffic. <laughs> Throw in roofing, sheetrock, framing, concrete, painting, tile, handrails, and retaining walls. Who wants to trade with me? Let the record show no one raised their hand. Okay, all of that to tell you that today is going to be different from October 29th. So if you came on October 29th and you thought that uh, I I was going to repeat it and you were going to make a run for it, um, stay for the buffet. Some of it's going to be the same, but most of it's going to be different. We're still going to do the diagram. We have a church age. Remember that? We're in the church age right now. That's why it's so important to know when the church age ends. One of the aspects of the end of the church age, of course, is all of this stuff that we talked about earlier. Anti-aging, the fact that we can defeat the aging or death by decay, the fact that we can begin to make genetic modifications to the existing human and animal structures. That that is something that has occurred long ago in the distant past, and God said it would return. And you will, when you see this, you know the end of the age of the Gentiles or the church age is near. Now, of course, in that somewhere is going to be the abduction of the bride, which is the church, the taking of the the bride. The bride is taken. And then when that, uh, that all occurs, there is a covenant that is signed by the Antichrist and we begin the seven year tribulation. At the end of the seven year tribulation is the Millennial age or the messianic age. So, and right here, of course, is the 75 day interval or the blessing of the 1335th day. Between the end of the tribulation. Now, the tribulation, of course, is seven years. Oops. Church age has been almost 2,000 years now, or actually probably very close to 2,000 years. The Messianic age will be 1,000 years. Now, in the middle of this is the midpoint of the tribulation. So this would be a three and a half year period, and this would be a three and a half year period. If the math is going too fast for you, just interject and say, hey, wait a minute. And of course, these are all nicely divided as well. Oh, my, my diagram didn't quite work. Yeah. Yes, hey, very good. It is an umbrella. 
Okay, so these are divided into one and three-quarter year periods. And this is the first quarter. This is the second quarter. Third quarter, think of it, football game, basketball game, fourth quarter. There you go. There's your diagram. And each of these, of course, has a midpoint as well. There's a midpoint here and a midpoint here. So I'm, this is the mid-tribulational uh, interim or respite or intermission is what happens here. During here, I have a period of time where there is a stopping or a breathing, a chance to catch your breath. So being able to, to duplicate that, very important to you as you begin to study of, where are we today? Yes, Joel 2. You will not notice it. But that's where we are. So we begin our foray, if you will, into the book of Joel by beginning at Revelation chapter 8. Now you might have thought we started at, jo we started Joel chapter 2 with Revelation chapter 9, which we did, which is why you thought that. But Revelation 9 begins the three woes. And the three woes becomes very important. I have three woes. I'll just go, I'll go, whoa, 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 your boat. Gently down the stream. Thanks for laughing. There's three of those. Knowing that there are three woes becomes very important, and, and hopefully you'll understand where the three woes are and where all of this occurs. Let me, I, maybe I'll just go ahead and put that on. Did I decide to do that? Um, let me do this. In the first quarter of the first half of the seven-year tribulation, we have seven seals. In the second quarter of the first half of the seven-year tribulation, we have seven trumpets. And then we have the midpoint, or the period of time where there is resting. And you'll understand why there's a resting period. How long it is remains to be seen. So, let me just throw that in there now, just in case. And again, what we're going to get into today is these three woes, where they are. They are in the second quarter of the first half of the seven-year period. Or if you, let me, we'll get into that here in a minute. Anyway, chapter 8, Revelation chapter 8 is the seventh seal. And, seven, and, and the seventh seal contains seven trumpets. So let's do it. Take it this way. I have, let's say I have, oh, I have seven seals. Now, a seal, if you want to think of it this way, is think of it as a, a some an opening of a of a piece of material. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There are seven seals, and in the last of the seven seals happens to be seven trumpets. So when he opens the seventh seal. That reveals seven trumpets, and then that starts the second quarter of the first half of the seven-year tribulation. So the seventh seal contains seven trumpets. The fifth trumpet of the seven trumpets is the first woe of the three woes. Does any of this make any sense to you? Not yet. The sixth trumpet is going to be the second woe. You can take it from there. So Revelation chapter 9, to repeat this, which we read 
not last Sunday, but the Sunday before last Sunday, or the last last Sunday, October 29th. That describes both the fifth trumpet and the sixth trumpet. And the fifth trumpet has the first woe, and the sixth trumpet has the second woe. Got me? Everybody still there? Don't raise your hands. Will we repeat this until you finally get it? Yes, we will. It's hopeless. We will beat you until you get it. The seventh seal has seven trumpets. I have seven seals, and the seventh one has seven trumpets in it. So when that one's opened, seven trumpets are there. Seven angels blowing seven trumpets. And that takes me into the second quarter of the first half. You'll get it, trust me. This is the period of time where no one should look at anyone else. It'll discourage you. It discourages me, <laughs> but I will persevere. So, to repeat, 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 repeat. Revelation chapter 8 is the seventh seal of the seven seals. The seventh seal has seven trumpets. Does this remind you of the guy from St. Ives? Is it? Okay. The fourth trumpet of the seven trumpets causes the light system that is in place, the sun, the moons, and the stars, to diminish by one-third. So the fourth trumpet causes this diminishing of the light system, and and you see this one-third theme show up. So another, think about the gravitational element of this, and we will uh, think about what it will take to diminish the sun by one-third or the moon by one-third, which is a reflection of the sun, or the stars out in the, atmosphere, out in the universe by one-third. This is what the seventh or the fourth, the, the fourth trumpet does. And the fourth trumpet also introduces these three woes. It says three woes are coming now. And it's something that is done by a cherubim or a seraphim. We have to decide who it is that flies in the midst of heaven and does all of this stuff. Okay? Hopefully somebody is still on the bus. Now that, now that everyone has firmly, completely understand, understood everything I have said to this point, all that remains for today is to know that Revelation chapter 9, which has two woes in it, of the three woes, And the fifth trumpet has the first woe. And the sixth trumpet has the second woe. And Revelation 11 has the third woe. And that means it contains the seventh trumpet. And the second woe and the third woe are different than the first woe. The second woe and the third woe are the behold woes. Which means, uh oh, this is bad. And it's really bad. And then it gets really, really bad. And all that's left to realize is that the seven trumpets are within the second quarter of the first half of the tribulation. And the Ark of the Covenant, wondered about the Ark of the Covenant because you've seen the movie, is revealed now to be in heaven. How did the Ark of the Covenant get into heaven? When did it get into heaven? Because God reveals he's got it. Why did he move it to heaven? 
And is this the behold of the third woe of the seventh trumpet? Now, to be fair, some call the second quarter of the first one half of the seven-year tribulation the second half of the first half. Thank you for laughing. I worked really hard on that, and I got one person to laugh. That's pretty good. <laughs> A couple of people went, oh, he can't be serious. <laughs> well, you were right. I wasn't. But it just seemed like so much fun to do it. And I almost got through completely, but I couldn't do it because of you. It's your fault. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I should try it again. It's, it's really good. Some call the second quarter the first one half of the seven-year tribulation, the second half of the first half as opposed to the second half of the second half of the seven-year tribulation. Now, that's on the Internet. That'll work. And if that makes sense to you, and it does make sense, but if that makes sense to you, you are now eligible for the parking spot, the most holy parishioner, the one that's out there with the sign on it. Where, where you get curbside service and concierge. Primacy in the buffet line. You get the uh, ham meatballs all to yourself, if you could understand that. Someday, I have always wanted, as you know, to replace these Sam's Club chairs, which aren't bad. Captain's chairs, they're not bad. I wanted to uh, re- replace them with Lazy Boy recliners. It's a long-held fantasy of mine. And my goal here today is to tell you that every one of you who can diagram out the seven seals and the seven trumpets, we're going to get you a recliner and a blanket every time you come to church. That would be fantastic. That would be my dream. I have to win the lottery. Okay, let's reread this now and see if any of that made sense to you. I think you will be surprised. So open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 8. Verse 10, that's where we're going to start today. And let's read this together. It should be in the bulletin. Is it in the bulletin? Somebody tell me if it is. Oh, it's got Joel in the bulletin. Okay, well, this is a study on Joel, so that would make sense. I can't, uh, I can't say that it didn't. So I'll read this, and if, uh, I'll try to do my best job. So here we are, Revelation chapter 8, verse 10, and the title of it is The Third Trumpet. Now, the second trumpet, the, th- the seas are struck. The first trumpet, the vegetation is struck. The third trumpet now is where we are, and the waters are struck. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. You may be aware that uh, Chernobyl is the Russian for Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Verse 12, then the fourth angel sounded, because there's seven angels, right? Each one has a trumpet. And the fourth angel played his trumpet, if you will, sounded his trumpet. And a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars. There's this one third that I was talking about. It's going to keep coming at you, this one third. And a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked. So there's this diminishing of light that occurs here. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the mist of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So we went through four trumpets, 
four horrible things have happened, but, a, but the angel says on the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpets, things are going to be ridiculously bad. These are the woes. We haven't had woes. We had the vegetation. Let me read that. The first angel sounded, and a hail of fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. So there we go again. One third. That's the first trumpet. That's not a woe. Second trumpet. Something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. That's not a woe. Great star fell. Third of the water of the rivers and springs became bitter. Many men died. Not a woe. The sun is diminished. The stars are diminished. The light. Something's happening to the light system. Not a woe. The next three are woes. So now we're going to start the fifth trumpet. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. This is a person. You can make the case that back here in verse 10, and a great star fell from heaven. That also may be a person. We'll have to decide. But clearly, a star fallen from heaven to the earth is a person. To him was given the key to the abyss or the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. In other words, a scorpion is similar to what is coming out of this abyss. They were complete, or commanded, I'm sorry, they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing. How much grass and, and green thing is left? Two-thirds. So somebody comes down and is given a key and he opens a pit and out of the pit comes something. And these somethings were commanded, don't harm the grass, the remaining two-thirds, or any green things, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Who has the seals of God on their foreheads? That is chapter 7. Tells you who the sealed are. It's 144,000 of them. Can't harm them. Only you can go. It tells these, they, the, the, the things, if you will, that come out of the abyss. It's going to describe them in a moment. We'll have to decide who they are. You cannot kill anyone but the unsealed. And they were not given authority to kill them. So they can't harm the sealed. They can only harm the unsealed, but they can't kill the unsealed. Make sense? Nod your head whether it does or not. It builds my morale. No one's willing. Oh, yay one. And they were not given authority to kill them. Who is Telling them who has the power to say you can't kill. Start thinking about that. But to torment them for five months. So, the fifth trumpet is a five-month duration. Why five months? 
And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we, we started this whole process. I asked a whole bunch of questions about it. We'll repeat some of that, so if you weren't here, you'll be fine. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. If you've ever been hit by a scorpion, I have all these stories in Hawaii about gathering rocks for luau pits, and I, there's scorpions all over the place, and I would pick the rocks up not knowing there were scorpions underneath. They all thought I was crazy. They were right. I wasn't, though, crazy. I was just completely ignorant of scorpions until I saw one. I told you the story, I'm sure. I'm over there just grabbing rocks. Dumb Howley. And they're watching me like the eyes as big as frisbees going, what is this guy doing? And I'm just grabbing them. We need rocks. Well, let's go get the rocks. They're over there getting a rock like this. That's how they're doing it. I'm just grabbing rocks. Man, is this a brave howly boy. They thought I was amazing. Finally, I asked him, what's the problem? Scorpions. Big ones. Welcome to Hawaii, where everything is big. Centipedes, scorpions, praying mantises. I had one land on my head and my face. I only have so many stories, and I repeat them. If you've heard them all before, there's one person who hadn't heard any of them. We won't point her out. That would be impolite. She goes first in the buffet line, so it's worth it. Do I do this to every visitor, young lady? Yes, I do. Yeah. Be kind to her. Not like you've been to the others. Yeah. <laughs> okay, very much. They were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. The torment was like the torment of a scorpion. If you've been hit by one of those things, you know you're not going to likely die, especially an adult. But boy, is it bad news. When it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death. Let me repeat that. In those days, what days? The five-month days. In those five months, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, but death will flee from them. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's teeth. Hair and their teeth were like lions' teeth, and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots and many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months, and they had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek has the name Apollyon. So that not only they, there's a king down there. In this bottomless pit. And it's a badden, which means destroyer. One woe is past. So this is the first woe of how many woes? Go ahead, yell it out. Three, thank you. See, internet audience, just in case you think there's no one here. One woe is past. Behold, there's still two more woes coming after these things. Okay? So there we are to repeat from last week. Now, if I get to choose, and I do get to choose, I would select these five months as the most important piece of information you can glean from this. this these five months are absolutely astonishing in every direction. They extend both directions, and to understand that becomes important to you. 
They're incredible. I'm going to advocate for the literal position. There are many positions here, but I believe the literal has the highest view of Christ as well as fitting the context. The seventh seal and the three woes. If you have the literal view of what happens in these five months, that fits best with the seventh seal and the three woes. And again, the five months, in my opinion, is the key component of the first woe. It's not a woe except for these five months. What makes it a woe is the fact that no one can die in these five months. The the seas, the light being diminished, the grass and the trees, uh, not woes. What's woe is you can't die for five months. No death. I think that's the literal that literal position makes sense, and it's the only position that makes sense. That's going to get people mad at me, but that's how I go through my life. It comes with writing these monographs every week. To repeat, the literal view makes the first woe a woe. And there's a complement to it in the next woe. So I have two woes that connect together, a complement a a, a uh, connectivity here. And if when you understand what's going on in these five months, that fulfills the purpose of the woe. The non-literal positions have no woe characteristics to make the case against them. The literal interpretation of these five months explains why it's a woe, if you will, and why it is that Christ has done this. Because make no mistake, Jesus Christ is the one who handed the key to whoever unlocked this abyss. We made the case that it is likely Satan two weeks ago. I will make that case in in the coming weeks as definitively as I can. Christ, he's the one with the keys. He holds the keys, all the keys, Revelation 1.18. He is the Lamb that is spoken of in these chapters. He's the Ancient of Days. He is Creator God in the flesh. He's the one who sits on the throne. Here, that's Revelation 7.10. He's the one who lives for all eternity, Revelation 10.6. That's why, again, as you know, he's called the I Am. God is the I Am because he is outside of time. To live for all eternity means always he lives always. That means before time. It is Jesus Christ who allows this. That's an important word. Allows. This is God handing the keys to someone who unlocks the abyss. And he allows the locusts and the scorpions the power to torment mankind. God allows. This is a great mystery. Why does God allow this? You can make the case he facilitates it. He hands the key. What's the process of handing the key to Satan? Does Satan ask for the key? Hey, give me the key. Okay. How'd that work? Work your way through the anatomy. Christ calls him in and says, here's the key. Go unlock the abyss. I'm going to let these guys out. 
Is that what happened? And he does it for the five months. Christ's name literally means salvation. He is salvation. Why does salvation do this? Why does he allow these things to come out of the abyss and torment mankind for 150 days? Revelation 7.10 tells you that he is salvation. The question that answers the question, I hope. Christ is salvation. And he allows these creatures to come out, whatever they are. And there's many views, and we'll get to some of them. But he allows them to come out and attack humanity for five months. Why does he do it? Because it has to have something to do with his name. What's his name? Salvation. The fact that there's no death for five months is a, a means of salvation. The whole plan is to save as many people as possible. And no one else is salvation, and no one else but Christ can give salvation, and that is what he's doing. That's the objective of the first five months. It happens to be a woe, but who is it a woe for? It is not a woe for the saved. It's salvation for the saved. It's mercy for the saved. And thus the true question becomes, how does this five-month period of torment, accompanied with the absolute, complete suspension of physical death, how does this account for salvation? And if it's not obvious to you, hopefully it will be soon. Soon be in a relative term. I must concede that there are many esteemed Bible scholars who disagree with me. Feel free to audibly gasp for the sake of the vast Internet audience. Hopefully that was picked up. But yes, there are in fact a multitude of theologians who have differing perspectives. The non-literal perspectives. I'm giving you the literal perspective. I'm doing it on purpose. It's what I think works. Nothing else works in my view. They don't have that position. They have a symbolic allegorical, non-literal. They also have the position that this has already been fulfilled, that this isn't end times, that it's something that has happened previously. For example of that, they propose that the five months is really 150 years. Now, how do they get there? Well, there's 30 days in a month, there's five months, 150 days, every day is a year, 150 years. That's what they do. You'll run into that in every seminary that you go to. Don't waste your money. You can now use the Internet. It's, it's surprising that some of these seminaries are still in business. I'm doing my best to get rid of as many of them as I can every Sunday. They know it. Fortunate for them, I am no one of consequence. But anyway, what they do... Oh, so anyway, okay. What they do is they assign the 150 years to Muhammad. His conquests. He started preaching in 612 A.D. and Baghdad was built in 762. And that is 150 years and that is the five months. That's the position that is taught in the majority of the seminary institutions that I am aware of. And these Mohammeds, these men that followed him, they are the locusts and the scorpions and they ascend and torment the Roman clergy the remnant of the Roman Empire. So what they've done is they have said that this has already occurred, that this is Mohammedism. These are the Muslims. They swept across 
the Middle East. They were unable to take down the Roman uh, clergy, but they tormented them for 150 years. Unable to kill the Roman church, if you want, they just brought misery to it. And obviously, who thought of that? You can figure out who thought of it. And obviously, this analysis is fraught with flaws, though it's still, like I said, taught commonly. Uh, how can it, let's just ask a couple of questions. How can it be said of the Muslims of that era that they had no power to kill? They killed tens of thousands. They had an army of 300,000 at one point. Eventually, it took them a while to gain that. How is the time of the Muslims, if you're able to grant the 150-year uh, conclusion, only 150 years? The Turks took Constantinople in 1457. The arithmetic is not difficult. It's not 150 years. They've been at this a long, long time. They're still at it. They started in 612. Well, you can make the case it's 1,500 years then they'll try. But foremost, how is this, this expansion of the Muhammads a tribulational event? It's not. And how does it fit the purpose of salvation through Christ, which is what Revelation 7.10 says is going to happen. Uh, 7.17 Revelation says that he is going to wipe away every tear. How does the Muslim conquest uh, wipe away every tear? How is it salvation? And the context is indisputable. The salvation of all who will so come in the tribulational period. That is the context. And Revelation chapter 9 has its genesis at Revelation chapter 7, which explains how Revelation 9 is intended to bring salvation. Probably should read that, so I, I will. Just quickly, first four boy, verses. Chapter 7, then chapter 8, then chapter 9. I get big money for doing this, right? After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or any tree. Now, whenever I see blowing wind, where do I go in the Bible? That's right, I go to Noah. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. That's Christ. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to him to harm the earth and the sea say, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on our forehead. And I heard the number of those sealed, 144,000 of all of the tribes of Israel. So, this has a salvation context. And I should submit something, lest I confuse anyone. I, I'm, I don't mean I'm confusing any of you, or any of the vast internet audience. I, I, I'm Worried that I'm confusing those easily confounded people who are in other places yet to be determined. The tribulation is intended by God, is intended by Christ. The whole point of the tribulation is to bring worldwide revival, repentance. It's what he's doing. He has come and abducted the church. There goes the church. Now he's got a lot of people left. He wants to save as many of them, whosoever will come. And the methodology he is using is tribulational events, if you will, these incredible things. Why is he doing this? 
Why not just rent a sign and put it in the air? Will that work? Who is left? This seems really dramatic, doesn't it? We'll get to that in a minute. But the whole point is to bring worldwide revival, repentance, salvation, not just to the Israel, but to the Gentiles. Again, whosoever will come, he will save. It may appear to be drastic, but it's not drastic. How do I know it's not drastic? Because he's omniscient God. He's only going to do what, what, what will be done that can bring salvation. He's, he's outside of time. He knows what's necessary. Obviously, this is necessary. Again, would it be necessary for believers? No. That's why the church is abducted. No, again, send me your mail. We'll go over it another thousand times. Simultaneously, the tribulation ends also. The purpose of the tribulation is also to end the wickedness, the wicked ones who harden in their evil, who harden in their unbelief. And both responses occur, again, simultaneously. All of this is given, all of this tremendous, these signs and wonders are given to both sides, if you will. One side cries out to Christ to be saved. The other blasphemes and profanes his name. Those are the two responses. One side is hardened by this in their unbelief. The other side turns to be saved. You ask yourself, who in the world would harden themselves? Well, the Bible tells you that. But all seem see the same evidences. I noticed this with regard to the flood. The creationists look at the flood and say, this is the flood. They look at all the all the permineralization of, of bones. They look at the heaps of fossils that are, are there. They look at the geographic, uh, I'm sorry, the geological strata. Uh, they see all these things and they go, flood evidence, judgment evidence. And their faith is reinforced. The monists, the atheists look at it and say, no, it's an evolutionary process. Uniformitarianism. Point again, the evidence is seen by two groups. One cries to be saved, the other blasphemes, profanes the name of Christ. I want you today to note the ceiling, though. The ceiling. Why is he doing this? He's sealing people. 144,000 of them. Can't hurt them. Can't kill them. What is, their jo- what, is their, what is their job? A couple other things to note. Remember uh, Revelation 8-7? Grass trees, one-third are destroyed. Uh, let's look at... Oh, let's, no, let's not do that. Let's throw in first uh, Genesis 7. Oh. I had marked it. Where shall I start? I'll start here at... uh, This is the flood. Let's go at 17. Now the flood was on the earth 40 days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark and rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about the surface of the waters. 
So I have the Ark of Noah here being discussed. Remember, I told you the Ark of the Covenant is going to be discussed in Revelation. Ark equals Arcus. I have three Arcs. Ark of Moses, Ark of Noah, Ark of the Covenant. And the water prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. Notice high hills. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upwards, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. The birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing, everything that creeps on the earth and every man, all, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was the, on the dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping things, and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Five months. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals with, that were with him in the ark. Obviously, the Noadic flood compares to the five months of no death. I have five months of complete death. Now I have five months of no death. That's why I have the literal view. It's no death. No death means no death. We talked about this two weeks ago. If you can't die, what are you thinking? And you're seeking after death, and you, it, you can't die. No one can die for five months. It's the exact opposite of the Noadic flood. You want to die. You try to die, the Bible says to you, but you cannot die. There's no way you can. Try to imagine that. What is his purpose? Why is God doing this? Because he's doing it. This is his way of saving people. He makes it impossible for five months to die. Suspends death completely. Knowing why helps you understand the first woe. The waters prevailed for five months. The torment prevails for five months. Everything dies. Nothing dies. Five months. Now here comes, got to hurry now, got to hustle. Here comes Revelation 9, 13 through 21. This is the second woe, and it is almost identical to the first woe. That's not an accident. It's not identical. There's something that is slightly different that tells you that there are two of them. Then the sixth angel sounded. What's he got? A trumpet. What's he going to do? He's going to blow his trumpet. What's it going to be? It's going to be the second woe. So now I've got two of the three woes are going to go. This is something also horrible. The first woe is unbelievably horrible. What's unbelievably horrible is in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. Not the tormenting. The fact they can't die. God makes sure no one can die. Five months, 150 days, no one dies. What's the obvious question? How many are saved? Because that's what he's doing. Saving them all. Everyone that, what he can't, you got five months. There's nothing that can happen to you that can keep you from being saved for five months. 
How's that for mercy? Tremendous. Then the sixth angel sounded his sixth trumpet and the second woe, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which was before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now notice that I have bound angels again. In the first place, I had a, I have a king that's in the abyss, and he is over all these beings, which I'm going to make a case, are not human, but yet they have physical bodies. How did that happen? We'll get to that in a minute. But now I'm releasing another four angels. This time i got four of them. So in both places, I have this releasing. God is releasing more of these who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. Here we go again. One third, one third, one third, one third, one third, one third. These guys kill. The other side can't kill. See? Now, the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them, and thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, uh, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. By the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths, for their power was in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, by these two woes, the rest of mankind that was not killed by these two woes did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons. They not only didn't choose Christ, they worship the things trying to kill them. And idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor, nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. That's the second woe. It keeps going. Revelation 10, 1 through 7. And I saw another mighty angel coming down. Well, who's this? That angel now, is that Christ? Well, it says down here in 6, that that angel swears by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there no longer be a delay. Oh, it goes on here. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished. So there you go. We have a mystery of God being explained here. So we're going to have to untangle all of this. I've got to hurry. To be more respectful, I should reword that. Um, let's see what we can do here. Try a few things. This is the mystery of God. What we've just done so far is the mystery of God. So we need to proceed with deferential caution. So what do we know now? The known knowns. Well, what's this mystery of God? That's the point. Starting with the mystery of God, that's the context. God, Christ, Holy Spirit who created heaven and the things that are in it. Who are the things? You are a thing, a created thing. I am a created thing. What's an angel? A created thing. 
He created heaven and the things that are in it. He created the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it. Who's left out? Why is the earth and the sea different? Who are the things? Why is the creation divided into three locations like this? Heaven, earth, sea. We've read that there's an abyss in a bottomless pit, Revelation 13.1. Satan stands on the shore and calls the Antichrist out of the abyss. In Revelation 9, a fallen star is given a key. Again, I, I propose that's Satan. He's allowed to open the bottomless pit. Allowed. God allows. That is an amazing mystery. People are all over the world today. I guarantee you tomorrow you'll read it every single day. Why does God allow? Why does God allow? A fallen star is given a key, allowed to open the bottomless pit, the abyss. These locust scorpion things ascend like dark smoke. They have a king, a bad the destroyer. Who are these things? How did they get into the abyss? Why are they in the abyss? How did this, or how did it happen and when did it happen? And hopefully, you are dealing with those questions that came from two weeks ago. We now know, we know now, Revelation 10.5, that Jesus Christ, creator God in the flesh, created what was in that abyss and what is below that river Euphrates in that cavern. Why would he create these things? Is this their original form would be the next question. Do we have something that God has created that humanity has modified? Have you seen a chihuahua? Mean little things, have you noticed that? Have you seen a dachshund? You can't be sure what that is. Chihuahua, there was an internet thing that said that chihuahuas were really rats. Did you see that? A guy got, got mad at his girlfriend who owned a chihuahua, so he invented this uh, university that came out with a document that said chihuahuas genetically were rats. And he, and he gave it to her as proof that her dog was a rat. She believed it. And it went all over the world. Now about 92% of all high school graduates in, in the United States believe that chihuahuas are rats because they believe everything on the Internet. We're doomed. You know that, right? We're absolutely doomed. Have you talked to anybody? It's over. That's good news. Are these the original form? Did God make these like this? Faces of men, hair like women, lion's teeth, stinging tails. Or have these created things modified themselves? And if so, why did they do that? What is their purpose for doing it? What was their purpose originally? What's their purpose now? When did they do it to themselves if they did? Why does God allow them to do it? And then why does he allow them to be exposed? He leaves them there for thousands of years. Now he has let them out at this specific time, right at the second woe, which is the sixth trumpet. Everyone know that. What is the first woe? What trumpet? Do it. Fifth trumpet. Yay. Okay, I defeat it to you. No, don't get too excited. Why does God allow these these creatures to be exposed, and then he limits them. Leave the grass and the trees alone. Don't harm the sealed, only the unsealed, but only for five months. During these 150 days, death, physical death, is held in abeyance, a temporary five-month ending of physical death. 
Men will seek death in those 150 days. Death will flee from them. There's constant debate over this, but I submit the second woe provides a definitive information. The second woe is obviously designed to complete the first woe. I have no death, now I have death everywhere. They're two parts and two halves of a whole. They're not to be separated. The first woe, things emerge. Evil things are revealed to humanity. Things that no one knew existed, no one imagined. And those things are now attacking all of mankind. But they can't kill anybody. Which makes the obvious question, doesn't it? If they can't kill me, what can I do? I'm armed to the teeth. You can't kill me. What am I doing? I'm shooting these things. I'm not here, but I'm going to be shooting them. If I were here, Arnold Fruchtenbaum told me a long, long time ago that he wanted to stay in the tribulation because he wanted to fight for Israel, and this would be something he would love to do. He'd hoped he'd be one of the seals, and if he was, he'd be one of the seals with a fully automatic system. He'd be blowing the crap, excuse me, out of these things. They can't kill, but can mankind kill them? I think mankind can. And if the things from the abyss are restricted, and they are, commanded by God, why do they agree to this? Because they do. Why do they participate? They can't kill anybody. The first group can't. Why do they attack, knowing they can't kill anybody? Why does Abaddon, the king, agree to these conditions? What's his advantage? He's participating. Fully aware of the conditions and the limits. God establishes an environment of continuous hell on earth. Affliction, suffering, gnashing of teeth, wailing. Death is sought but is not given. Death flees. There's smoke. There's brimstone. There's darkness. There's wickedness. Who cries out for salvation in these conditions and who doesn't? And the answer is in the second woe, as I read it, but the rest of mankind who were not killed. He creates hell on earth, doesn't he? He gives you a picture of eternity. I've had people say my entire so-called career, if I could just see condemnation, I would repent. Well, you've got five months. You're going to see it. Who's going to repent? God gave you, gives the people on this earth an incredible vision of eternity for the unsaved. Who repents? Revelation 9.20. Read that. But there now the second phase. These things are more capable. The, the sixth trumpet, the second woe. These, second, these things that come the second time are more capable. They have tails like serpents with heads on them. So they have a tail with a head on the end that bites you like a serpent and it's poisonous, kills you. They breathe fire. There's 200 million of them and they kill one third of mankind. There's that one third. Keeps coming, keeps coming. Why is God doing it in thirds? One third description keeps resurfacing. One third of light. One third of mankind. Why one third? For today, start paying attention to the angels. First woe, bottomless pit, abaddened king of the occupants of the abyss. Second woe, four angels released. Different, four, but four of them this time. Not one king, four kings. Released from beneath the Euphrates, which is a pre-flood river, by the way. <gasps> 
Who are these four angels? When were they imprisoned? Why are they freed? Who do they command? Why are they permitted to kill when the first group doesn't? This is total war. Eighteen months. There's five months of this woe. There's 13 months of this woe. This goes on for 18 months. Total war. Man versus angelic creature thingies. God only creates goodness, Genesis 1.31, to repeat how did these things become what they have become. Why did he allow it? An important element is the finite aspect of the released hordes. They number in the hundreds of millions. That's not very many. Did you get that? Hundreds of millions, but that's not very many. Bill the Fast has that much ammunition. Pretty close. There's not very many of them. 200 million. Let's call it, let's double it. Let's call it 500 million. That's not very many. You think it's a lot. They kill a third of mankind. Uh, they, they are overwhelmingly outnumbered. I hope you understand that. Humanity has no restriction on multiplication. Self-imposed. Planned Parenthood. That's as doomed a group of people that has ever existed, by the way. The demons are likely exterminated. I'm telling you, they're wiped out. They're slaughtered. They do a lot of damage. But mankind takes them out. We outnumber them 20 to 1. Maybe 30 to 1 by the time this happens. Mankind prevails. The things from these two chambers, the abyss, the Euphrates, they're going to know they're going to lose. They know they're going to lose. They attack nonetheless. It's a suicide mission. And they know it. I submit that they know they cannot kill for five months. They still attack, knowing that they can be killed. I just want you to imagine the committee meeting, the vote. Okay, here's the restrictions. How many want to attack anyway? All of us. What do they gain? What's their plan? The costs are counted. They're weighed. and The benefits are discussed. This has the same ring to it as Armageddon. And we have a long way to go. Pack lunch. See you next week. This was the easy part. This wasn't a woe, this lecture. Next lecture, going to be a woe. Everyone who is still awake, please rise to be dismissed.